0: Hey, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening in today to the Mark Explains podcast. I'm your host, Mark. And
1: I am Ashlyn. And today, uh, we are just so excited to have our awesome friend back on the show. Uh, Tony Inskeep joins us and she tells her story today. Um, We're just, seriously, we're humbled to have her on.
0: So humbled,
1: yeah. She has an incredible story. And Julie Lynn also joins us uh, as, as we have this conversation. She just has some Crazy good input and perspective, um, and we love talking to her. So thank you to both of these awesome humans um, for giving us their time. And I do just want to say, um, it's it's a longer show, it's a longer podcast. Stay to the end of this one because because Tony um, just just knocks the ending out of the park. She wraps up her story in in just a really beautiful way with a lot of awesome perspective um, and it is worth your time trust me
0: it, it absolutely is you know and and I, like if I can say anything like you know this is a longer podcast well I think it was about three more than three hours record time obviously the podcast isn't that long today uh, we have condensed it down um but uh, make sure you stick to the end it is what what what's up Ash <laughs> so,
1: I gotta tell you a story so it was. It was about three hour, three and a half hours, I think, mm-hmm. uh, of recording, mm-hmm. and um, I'm learning about myself, right, as I get older. Um, apparently, so like, there's probably a couple things contributing to this. So, we recorded this podcast for three and a half hours. I'm sitting in on my couch, and uh, the way I had to record, I had to be close to my microphone, <laughs> so I had to, I, I had to like lean over, like haunched over. Um, I, I love I, where I this see. story
0: is going. I love yeah. where it's going.
1: So, so a couple of things contributed, right? So I would just got out of work I rushed home. Didn't really change. So I was wearing like skinny jeans and like work <laughs> clothes. And like, I'm like, you know, uncomfortable already. And I'm like haunched over in this terrible position for three and a half hours. Did not move. I was committed, bro. I was, I was locked in <laughs> to every word. And, um, I started to feel like I knew that th- this is going to be bad. We got done recording and it turned everything off and I stood up but like I couldn't stand up. <laughs> like I was I was like in a U shape. Like
0: I think your body was stuck in the U shape. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I was facing the floor, but I was standing up. Oh and then, man. And I like walked to the kitchen and like I could it was the most the strangest feeling like i could my whole body was just arced
0: over oh that's could, so funny
1: i could not stand up straight you know what it reminds me of all.
0: like when do you ever do that game when you were a kid where you grab the the sharpie marker as hard as you can for like 30 seconds and then somebody takes it out of your hand and you try to open your hand and it doesn't open up all the way have you did you ever yeah, do that Yeah, yeah. That, that's ex- it, yeah. that's what happened but like on a macro level like your to your yeah. entire body
1: it felt more like the game that I played when I was a kid where someone beat the shit out of me
0: (laughs) and then you couldn't stand for a week and a half.
1: And I was in a lot of pain for a long time. Like that's more like the game. It felt like, like I just had my ass beat. Oh, that's funny. Severely. So,
0: well, regardless, uh, definitely stick to the end of this one. Um, it's it's so cool like this is such a humbling uh, episode and if you haven't yet make sure you head on over to iTunes or Podbean and su- subscribe uh, to these podcasts and also on iHeartRadio and Spotify which I I'm not sure why I'm telling you how to find us because you are listening to the podcast which means you have found us so congratulations on that
1: alright thanks again for listening we appreciate you we love you and enjoy episode 17 here on the Mark Explains podcast.
0: So, Tony. Yeah, what's up? Thanks for uh, coming on today and talking <laughs> yeah. with us. I think this is your, what, fourth time? Fourth time you've been on? Third or fourth, anyways? Third, I think Th- third. Third time you've been on. Um, and we love you. And we love having you on, so thanks.
2: <laughs> I love you, too. genuinely.
0: I agree with Mark. I think the world of you, i'm so glad you are joining us again. It's going to be very good.
2: Thank
0: you. I remember the first time I told Ashlyn uh, that you were going to be on Tony, and he was like, "Yeah, yes, yes!" <laughs> I lost my mind. I was so happy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's so funny because I'm watching you, and you're so stoic right now. I need <laughs> to picture that. Like it's, it's just- a gift. Yeah. it's a
1: gift so it's, this this won't come across good on the on a podcast but so i sell furniture for a living right nice. i work in a furniture store okay. and uh every day people come in and they walk up to the front desk and hey hey guys how's it going and you know try to talk to them and, and like, hey, what 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 brings you in today What are looking for anything special and they'll go oh we're looking for a new couch and then just i i have a delivery and i always have where i can say something that's not true but i just just deliver it just right so i just say every time like oh my god i'm so sorry guys we just ran out of couches um and they believe it like every time like i said it doesn't doesn't come across that well in a podcast but um, and i do the same thing to jessica's mom uh who you know my mother-in-law she's really gullible she believes like whatever you say so She'll, you know, I'll just say something completely ridiculous and she'll just completely like, oh, my God, are you serious? Not as funny anymore. She's, she's working
0: on some Alzheimer's and oh,
1: um, God.
0: Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not funny, dude. Oh, um, I, I'm I'm yeah. n- I'm laughing at you. I'm not laughing at what she's suffering she, through. No, she
1: really does but It's uh, so, yeah, I do. I try to do that less.
2: I still do it a little
1: bit.
2: <laughs> That's like my. I love when people do that to me. Like, there was this guy that I was in the grocery store one day and I had this arm full of, dish, like, uh, groceries and I could not see my feet. And he's like walking up to me. And his eyes get huge and he points at the ground like there's something at my feet. And I like. Almost dropped my groceries. I like look down. There's nothing. And he busts out laughing and just keeps walking. <laughs> and, I was, and it just disappears. I was like, where is he at so I can propose? Because it was the funniest. <laughs> I loved it <his> so. <laughs> it was so good.
0: That's awesome.
1: So
2: good. I genuinely feel like, I'm like, you get me. If people do that sort of stuff to me, I'm like, you get it.
0: Wow,
1: that's so it's great.
2: so good. good.
0: So what years were you in master's commission with us? Because I did my first year in 2004. Mm -hmm. And uh, were you, you came my third year. So your first year was 2006, right? 2006, 2007. Or was it 2005? Yeah, it was. It was 2006, 2006. 2007. Mm -hmm. Did you do more than one year? I did three. You did three years?
2: I sure enough did.
0: Sure enough
2: show up, did three years in that piece
0: what was that like because i was only there for one year with you right yeah yeah
2: yeah it was Ooh, that is like, because that ashlyn
0: was, you were there your second year was her first year right
1: no um i took a year off right. so so we were second years together oh so when yeah I came, that's I, right that's right thanks. i came back as a second year in tony's second year
2: that's that's totally right yeah, that was mm, that experience. It was it was a good experience in some ways, very challenging experience in most ways.
0: <laughs> For those that are listening real quick uh, and haven't listened to previous episodes, Master's Commission is a um, is a Bible school of sorts. Uh, okay. it's, it no longer exists. It existed from like 1997 until, well, like 2014, 2013, 2014, right around there. Um, and uh, it's, it was known as like the bubble for those who are in it. It's, it, 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 it. If you were to ask the people at the time, it would have been something like a discipleship mm-hmm. program designed to prepare you for ministry of sorts or just real life. in in whatever that could mean. Um, and during the time you could also get, uh, like college credits or become accredited as a a pastor. You could, so like those were kind of the, the things you could do and it had great intentions. Um, and, and a lot of great things came from it. Um, it lasted the same as a school year did some from September to May or September to Mm -hmm. June. Um, but uh, if, if you're really curious, you can go back and listen to ep- for, or, uh, earlier episodes where we kind of go into more detail. So I was there from 2004 to 2007. And then, Tony, you were there from 2006 to 2009. Yeah. So you, yeah, were, so you made years. it all the way to three years. How, like, what was that like for I you did. from, like, the transition from, like, because I think of my first year, and I think Ashlyn will recall the same thing. Like, my first year was incredible. Like, it was okay. life-changing. It was arguably my favorite year there. Um, mm-hmm. And then my third year was the hardest year. Mm-hmm. Because you kind of got to peek behind the curtain and see the man with the levers and the curtains.
2: Yeah. that Okay, so this is where I feel like... Maybe, Ashlyn, you might be able to relate to this a little bit, too. I didn't... I did go to church growing up and I was actually really involved in like my youth group, but um, because of like my home life and stuff like that and the way that I actually came to have like, I guess that I came to maybe believe in God or follow God, I came in there and it felt like, I don't know how to explain it. It felt very competitive. It was like this, it felt like a competitive, competitive, like Christian environment. It was very, it felt very strange to me. Mm, It was like, it felt like there was, how do I?
1: So, so, um, I, I pick up on that too. And I think for me, it wasn't that, um, like that didn't make me uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. I didn't know Mm -hmm. any better. Um,
2: yeah.
1: But by competitive, I w- the w- the way I would say it is, I felt like there were expectations. Yeah. Um, of being especially being like a masters commission student,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: that you are the elite of this culture. You're supposed yeah. to be um the very best of what whatever Christian people mm-hmm. are supposed to be. Um, so where Mark and I came from, we came from the same church, and mm-hmm. there was you know. The youth pastor at that church had sent uh, uh, quite a few people down to Master's Commission, and there was this, and at least in my mind, mm-hmm. there was this, you know, this high, high expectations. If you went down there, you were supposed to be, you know, super whatever it is. We yeah. Were supposed to be. Um, and yeah, there was definitely an element even within the program. I think of you know who's the most pious. Uh, who's the most you know studious who's the you know there's and you're always kind of thinking like that and probably ranking mm-hmm. people like that that's definitely okay. a big part of it yeah it
2: it was i i was that's a good word for it expectations um i pr- masters wasn't something that like people where I was from really knew about um And I feel like I came into it and my first year was really, really difficult, but it felt a lot better than the other two years because I didn't feel like I had such high expectations outside of the like no dating thing. I guess, okay, this is the best way I can think to describe how I came to it maybe versus how I feel like sometimes Christianity can have. I came into like um, Christianity for me was about finding God in everything, not finding the devil in everything. Does that make sense? So, which actually just saying that makes me feel like I want to cry because it just saying that makes me, I I can picture people's faces where I feel like people were looking for legit, like the devil and the worst in people Mm -hmm. and being incredibly afraid of the devil in people. And, like, what they would call, like, air quotes, the devil in people. Like, I don't think they knew they were doing that. And I wouldn't put that as a, a um, blanket statement over everyone. But I came into it looking for God. And I feel like I was met with a lot of interactions where maybe someone was looking for the devil and trying to extinguish the devil in everyone. That, and that existed I did, everywhere. I didn't. I And I did not relate to it. I, I could not relate to it. I didn't understand it. I watched people that maybe their actions, some of the things that they did, maybe people didn't necessarily think, this is what it looks like to be a person who believes in God. But like, I saw people with beautiful, beautiful hearts, um, people with questions, people with humans, with stories and souls <laughs> and hearts. And it literally I, it makes me really sad because I watched a lot of people get spit out of that. Like really beautiful people get spit out of the other side of that, really hurting. Hmm. And I don't think that was the entire experience of everyone. I think there were really good things in that. Um, like some of the experience, like meeting the this, the people were really the best thing I took out of it. Yeah. Like people like you guys. I will carry that with me, like you guys, your stories, being able to share space with you, mm. being able to look for God in you. I remember it. I remember seeing it in you, Mark, mm. and in you, Ashlyn. I remember seeing you. You know what I mean? Mm. And like that was the heaviest part of that entire sp- experience is looking at people um, and. I am grateful for what that program did for me, but it was really hard to watch people get chewed up and spit out the yeah. other side of it. Um, it was really hard,
0: yeah, really, I th- really really you know i i I think that it happened like i I feel like not just this program, but Christianity as a whole does a great job of doing m- many things all at the same time. like uh, like this program pulled me in. And mm-hmm. if you if you understand my past, I am someone who doesn't feel like I'm good enough for mm-hmm. really anything. And yeah. I remember my my youth pastor, the same guy that sent us down, um yeah. when I like dove in, I didn't I wasn't really being saved from much. I I wasn't into drugs or I really really wasn't into anything. And he's like mm-hmm. I he's like he always used to joke like I don't know what you know, I don't know what you were being saved from. and And I wish I could articulate it at that time, but I didn't understand it. But what it was for me, it was a life of not being validated or accepted all the way through high mm-hmm. school, for my mom, for my from my family. And all of a sudden, now this culture is like, yes, come as you are. That's like the thing, right? and mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit, you you want me. Yeah. So the culture did that really well. Mm-hmm. But I hear you. And I feel what you're saying when you say that the first thing they do is they say um, every ill thought you have, every bad temper, everything that you do that isn't completely 100% to their ideologies and their um, cultural constructs of what that should be is Mm -hmm. the devil, is Satan. And in a lot of ways, they're calling me satan and because that Mm -hmm. was me like that was my thought that was my action and Mm -hmm. that was hard to accept to look for satan everywhere yeah i feel you when you say you look for god everywhere and then the culture teaches you to flip that mindset yeah and to look for satan everywhere and how unhealthy that is so so tony you you went in um you entered master's commission Um, kind of this uh, different view on life uh, from your previous experience of what church was, what family was. In a sense, creating a new family there, I think everyone who has been through that can say that, um, you know, family was reinvented and recreated there. Um, uh, And um, they kind of, I mean, like everything that Masters was sets you up for what their, uh, constructs of life would be. Um, you have to, uh, either go into ministry or volunteer in ministry or, Mm -hmm. um, something with ministry. You have to become a Mm -hmm. a missionary or a pastor or or lead worship or, or something. Um, and Mm -hmm. also you must get married and pop out, uh, three kids and have a nuclear family. (laughs) Uh, it's very, very important to, for that to happen. Um, and uh, if if those things don't happen in a row like that, uh, likely going directly to hell. Um, uh, One
2: way ticket. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it, it kind of was. Um, and I don't think I was, I mean, I'm trying to, I wasn't around. I mean, like my third year was your first year. So I think I kind of, um, I knew some of your first years. I, I actually yeah. blank out on a lot of those names now. Sadly. Um, but what was that like coming out of master's commission for you?
2: Um, well, first of all, I want to say thank you to all of you for your words of encouragement. Like I, there aren't words, <laughs> but I feel it in my heart. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I just want to say thank you. Um, yeah. Coming out of master's commission, I was dating Frank. Coming out of Master's Commission. So... um,
0: And you met him there?
2: Yes. I was a first year... A second year when he was a first year. So I met him there. And we started dating there. And so when we moved... When I moved, I moved to Virginia. Um, My sister was living in Virginia and going to uh, school in uh, Lynchburg. And so she was having a bit of a hard time. And she would, like, call me and just kind of... Like, hey, could you come here? Like, I could use some support. So I just decided to move there. And Frank, I don't really remember why, but he decided to move there, too, um, as opposed to coming, like, moving to New Jersey. So, yeah. Um, Coming out of Master's Commission was a bit of a culture shock. Because when you're, like, surrounded with that many people all the time, you just walk out of your house and there's people everywhere. And then... you have like you figure out how to do life again with normal people. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird because we talked about seen on the podcast things.
1: how it's it's a lot like jail. Like it's a it's, lot like prison that there's like a life on the inside and a life.
2: I will never forget the people that I met there. Being with those people makes that whole experience whatever might be not great about the experience so 100 percent worth it like being with those people and missing those people was honestly the most difficult transition yeah. is is that for me was just being and strangely enough being around a place where I don't know if it's because of no dating thing but men were a lot more um friendly with each other and more like <laughs> physical touchy and like stuff like that. Um it was weird to come back to the real life and see that men weren't really it was it was like you had to be tough. So it was just interesting to see men not involved in that way with each other. Hmm. But that's just a side thing. Um
0: So wait, you yeah, so, so you moved to Virginia. Yeah. Uh because your sister called you up there.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Frank um, and Frank moved there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But were you guys dating at the time?
2: Yes, we were. So is this we is this
0: immediately after his first year?
2: No. Okay. So he does a first year. I. That's when I'm in the second year. So I do a first year with him, and then I do a third year, and oh, he's a second. year. Yeah.
0: Okay. I get it. I and, get it. And
2: during about halfway through that, we started dating. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So it was kosher. You guys didn't didn't kiss under
2: covenant. Nah.
0: Oh, nah. Too bad.
2: I wasn't trying to catch that heat. I, <laughs> no. I, <laughs> like, no. No. And this is fun fact. You weren't Heroic. trying to
3: catch that heat. I just want to make sure we got that on tape, Mark. You got that on the I wasn't trying to catch that
2: heat. No. Nah. nah. No. <laughs> oh man. No, no.
0: I kissed under covenant. <laughs> what? Well, my first year. <laughs>
2: Why am I not surprised? Like Ashlyn did t- <laughs>
0: Ashlyn, Ashlyn did everything. Oh yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> what?
2: Don't put those words in my mouth. Yeah,
0: I sent a secret love letter to another first year. No, I legit did.
2: The secret's
3: out.
0: I'm not gonna say her name, but
3: Tony, did you do love all the first. I'll years, say your name. I'll
0: say it right now. Say it. I did. Do you know who it was? Yep. Who? You don't want me to say her S- name, bro. S- say it. Say it. I'll admit it if it's right. You're gonna edit this out. Oh yeah, totally. 100. <laughs> percent Yep.
3: Um, I was gonna say the thing is is like Mark's gonna say what's real because he you know he's just gonna be like dully. Oh Mark yeah, it's really easy real for me.
0: Quick. So so me and the had actually a really. A really deep connection and we more or less dated after our first year for like a month and then she got freaked out, ditched me and went for and that was the end of that. I'll
3: yeah. be honest, anytime I date somebody real as shit, I get real freaked out, you know? Yep. It's fucking real.
0: It was real. <laughs> she, All right. We're she off she, sent, video, she so. sent me a love a love letter too. So it wasn't just one way. It wasn't like a love letter. Right. It was it was a whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, sorry. So so, Frank moves to Virginia, and, and, yeah. and that, was that the plan? Or, like, like how, did that come, how did that come about?
2: Honestly, I don't even remember. But I was going, and then he was also going. Like, I was already going there. That was not a decision that was like, yeah, me and you, we're going to move there together. I was going, reason being to support my sister. And then Frank decided to go as well. So that's how we ended up there. Hmm. Um, and that was probably, I moved there and tried to get plugged in with churches. It was too weird. I was just just like, I can't. Um, so I didn't, it took me a while to kind of get some friends there. Um, and so I was pretty isolated. So it was pretty much me and my sister and Frank. (laughs) pretty much um so we were dating then we were there for like probably a year before we got engaged and then we got engaged and then we got married so yeah there was a lot of um difficulty in the dating relationship because this thing would happen with him where he would just drop on me in random situations um I think this happened two times two or three times where he would break up with me and then say, I just feel really far away from God. And I feel like like God's saying, I need to not be with you. Like, I need to break up with you. Hmm. And then within a couple of hours period, he'd be like, I'm so sorry. I don't, that I, that's not right. I made a wrong choice. I'm so sorry. I should not have done that. That was not right. I was just afraid. I was afraid of making the wrong choice. I'm really sorry. Um, so within probably that timeline, there was a couple months of where we weren't dating because it would take a while for me to come around to being like, sure, I'll try that again. Um, I think at the time I could, I, un- it's hard saying this now because of everything that's happened in between that point. Um, but at the time I felt like I understood not wanting to make, um, a decision that, wasn't being led by God. Hmm. So I understood fear. So it didn't set off a red flag for me of like, whoa, like this what is going on with this person? It just You're didn't. thinking
1: he's just trying to be sensitive to yes. what God is yes. doing. And and that that's your mindset. So you're not yes. you don't see the big red flag. You're not nope. I'm like, okay. This guy's no. got some serious emotional no. instability.
2: No, because in church, a lot of times the big thing was like, the focus was not setting you up to another tangent. I I just, you need to know like how, even just on the psychological point of view, like Mm -hmm. you're, you're taught to look for things like stay away from sex, but like yeah, not, but seriously, yeah. like, these are some behaviors that should indicate to you that this person doesn't care about you or things like that. They didn't, um, and I don't blame them for this. Um, I just didn't have any parameters going into it and had no idea that I should have been looking for certain things. Um, because the big focus in, like, look for this, this is a red flag, is don't have sex. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. do not have sex. Does this person want to do things does this person want to do things for the Lord? And I'm like, check, check. Like, this person is, we, I feel like we care about the same things. I get along well with this person. Um, and this person, and I'm thinking more so like, oh, I can relate to like not wanting to, um, you know, being sensitive, like you said. So it just didn't, didn't set anything off
0: at all. Well, the culture, so, it it teaches us, it programs our minds to interpret things um, in certain ways. So when you're in the culture and you're in that bubble and someone comes forward and uses the God card, you believe it on all fronts.
3: Yeah! Um, Like,
0: it doesn't doesn't matter. Sadly, I did the same thing when I was with Jennifer Goner and Mm. did not want to pursue her. Like, I proposed to her, and then like three days later I was like, I, huge mistake, and pulled the God card. Uh, and I yeah, feel really bad for that. Um, but yeah. I was like, God is leading me away from you. And what it was was I just didn't want to marry her. And that's a really mm-hmm. shitty thing, but that's that's what it was. But the culture teaches you to believe that stuff 100%. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And when you get when you get pulled out of a situation that teaches you that you should be looking for someone else's voice to tell you, like to give you, interpret red flags for you, what that did for me is where I had come from a relationship with God or the divine, however you want to call it. Um, when I come from a place of going really heavily on my intuition and what I feel like is right, and then I go to a place where people are like, "Don't ask questions; we tell you what's right." Yeah. Um, it it changes something about um I started to suppress my own intuition yeah and think oh no i don't know what's right that's just and also when you walk through a um in when you're in an abusive situation like have like growing up and stuff like that you learn to suppress your intuition yeah. because people are like that's not right that's not what i think is right you know like that sort of thing same so, um, and, and you learn level. avoidance yeah. You learn
3: avoidance. You learn to avoid to even that conflict in your brain of yes. what's right and what's wrong.
2: To yeah. the point
3: where, at least for me, and I don't want to speak for you, but yeah. um the church gave me right and wrong. And mm-hmm. then when somebody used my very black and white right and wrong against mm-hmm. me, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden my two worlds conflicted, my world of avoidance, my world of avoiding trying to figure out what was right and wrong. And something Mm -hmm. that was so what seemed, at least to me, so black and white and using my black and white to manipulate more my right and wrong. I I mean, it was like this, um, this tumultuous war zone that that you never could see beyond the dizziness of, of not knowing where the page started and where the page mm-hmm. ended and where the line started and where the next line began. And it was, it was all blurred and meshed mm-hmm. together and words weren't words, weren't words, but they were, and they sank in and they, like in your meaning is created in your head and you can't sort it. And it's yeah. just this, 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 uh, uh, wars. I mean, really, I have no Word other than, um, I mean, Lauren and I in the last uncensored podcast called it a mind fuck, but yeah, mind fuck or war zone where like, yeah, nobody can really describe, but it's like to take your black and white and your gray mm-hmm. and then mix it together to be this, this really, um, incredibly abusive rainbow mm-hmm. of shit that mm-hmm. you can't sort.
2: Yep, so, yeah, it's, yeah, that black and white thing because they, it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't stay doesn't in black and white. There's most of life is not that. So yeah, absolutely.
1: Um so eventually, Tony, you and uh you and Frank get married. And um and you're in Virginia at that time. Yeah. Okay. And are you guys um are you you mentioned when you got out of masters, it was hard to kind of find a church or like yeah. a church family. Yeah, I'm assuming you, you know, you guys get married and eventually you're plugged in somewhere. You're at a church. Is that what
0: happened? Or
2: no, you know? no, no. Um, go ahead, Mark.
0: Was it easier for him to find a church than it was for you? Do you know?
2: I don't. I don't think so. Um, we went to a church and. Tried to get plugged in there, and then it was just, we just, it it was not a good fit. Mm. (laughs) It was just a lot of behind the scenes things, because you're used, you're in masters, and you're used to getting plugged in, so I worked, like, served with that church and stuff like that, but then, like, the pastor made some comments to me about, like, money, and, like, where are you going to get the money for that? You don't have money, and it was just, like, I was, Mm. like, what? Like, why would you say that to me, like, first of all? Um, it was just strange and then was like very unapologetic for it and it was just weird. So I was just like, yeah, no, I not no hard feelings, bro. But like, I can't bring people that I care about into interactions like this. This Mm -hmm. is not a safe space for people that I value. So I I need to leave this space. Um, So that's basically that. And then I couldn't find a place that it felt safe or grounded in that way. Um, But then also we had done like some marriage counseling. And basically the the pastor guy that gave us marriage counseling um, was like, don't talk to your wife. If you're having like struggles with sexual stuff, don't talk to your wife about it because that will just make her upset. (laughs) Which was like, for me, I was like, yeah, no, I can't. Especially like irony later in the story. But like,
0: it just. That's insane.
2: Well, I'm like people are humans. So stuff happens. Right. I get that. However, like I just, no, I I just, it was no. So we didn't go back to that. Um, and then we were not plugged into a church at any point in the time during Virginia. After that we got married, we came back as soon as we get back a very short time after Frank comes to me and says, Hey, there's something that I feel like God's been really encouraging me to share with you and i'm like okay um, sure like uh, what is it
0: how long has it been think, since you were married at this point
2: uh, i don't think uh, not more than 2 months it was pretty soon after we okay. right after we got married okay. like i was still i was still in the annulment phase oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but he says to me like when i was younger um, i molested my niece wow and and I was like, "What?" And he's just like, "Yeah, we talked about it. Um, yeah, we talked about it. We like we've talked about it since then. She forgives me, stuff like that." But I felt like I should tell you that. And um, I remember in that moment, that's probably another moment of just like felt like heavy hopelessness because I I was like I I married a person who didn't feel like it was important to tell me that sort of thing. Before you got married. Yeah. yeah. And also I married a person who has molested uh, a family member. So I'm like, I'm not, I don't freak out but I'm, tears start to come down. And he says to me, if I had known, this is the first time he would say to me, if I had known that you were gonna respond that way, I would have never told you. Oh man. And what did he
0: expect? Yeah, I don't, I I don't, I don't know what you would expect a proper response to be. I mean, obviously he's not, um, right in his mind in some capacity, but like, what was he expecting there?
2: He, the, the phrase that would then come to me immediately follow that was Jesus forgives me. If Jesus forgives me, like you can't, I feel like you're not being forgiving If Jesus forgives me, how can you, like, hold it over my head like that?
1: And that was the immediate reaction. Like, it wasn't like you talked about it for an hour or had some dialogue. It was just like, here's this bombshell.
2: Yeah. And I just felt this. I, I that was the, the, when the, that's the only other time that I felt, um, man, God, I do not want to be here right now. Because I'm thinking that,
3: oh, hi. (laughs)
2: because <laughs> um, at this point I'm thinking he didn't cheat on me I can't divorce him hmm. like I made this promise to God that I was going to love this person and like be with this person for the rest of my life man and I can't this is based on beliefs Um, at the time, like, I can't walk away from this situation without making God angry unless he cheated on me. Like, I, um, so I remember at the time I was like in the room when he told me this and I was trying to get, I was, he was kept talking and talking and talking at me. And at this point I'm in the corner of our bedroom and I'm like, Frank, you have to let me out of here. I'm starting to feel really angry and you have me in a corner. I need you to let me out of this room. So he lets me out of the room. Um, and I'm like, I got it. I need to go take a walk. And I just like walked and walked and walked it was like late at night. And I'm just walking around the city. Um, all I remember thinking is like, I just like, I don't know what to do right now. I cannot get out of this situation. Um, and this situation is forever. Hmm. <laughs> That's all I remember thinking is like this is this is forever. And I just walked. Um, so I think at some point, Frank came and found me with a car. Um, and there was really no I remember like saying, like, this is like really really hard. Like, um, this is hard stuff to kind of like hear. I don't know what to think about this. I, like, why wouldn't you have told me that? And he's just like, I didn't think it was important. Um, stuff like that. And then, um, it was really never talked about ever again after yeah. that. Um, it was just, it got, basically it just, I got the, um, I made choices. Um. So I don't want to be like, and then he just like made me do these things because I made choices. Um, But it was the Jesus forgives me. And that was just the stamp that was slapped on it. And that was that. Jesus forgives me. You should too.
0: And so it was all buried at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because that's
0: really the only way. I mean, you as a human can move forward. I mean... Mm -hmm since he is clearly saying he's not going to process through it because there's nothing to process. Yeah. The only thing that can happen is to bury it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So basically that began a string of me feeling certain things in my gut. Um, like I would just feel like he wasn't being honest about certain things. And I'm not a very suspicious person, like, in general, the only way I ever sort of, I'm not a, um, I do go with my gut, so there would be times where I'd be like, hey, like, how are you, like, doing with, like, sexual stuff? Like, how are you, where are you at with that stuff? And he'd be like, yeah, no, nothing, that's, I don't know what you're talking about, like, that's no problem. So that became a string of, like, um, pornography stuff and stuff like that throughout our marriage. And then it became things like him saying things about uh, my body or clothes that I would wear, or I don't like when you wear that, you're trying too hard. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't like that thing that you do. Um, uh, Being neglectful in things like paying bills and like the electricity would get cut off and I would say to him like, hey, like, what do we need to do to like take care of this? Like, what can I do? Um, And... It just being like, a, you're being nagging, you're being too hard, um, things like that. Um, and initially it was kind of like his dynamic with me was, I don't want you to get a job unless you can think of something fun that you want to do with that, like money. So initially I'm not working. So I have no idea about finances. I'm not really set up to like really have any say so in a lot of different things. So
0: he controlled Um, every part of that dynamic. Yeah, Hmm.
2: pretty much. Um, so we moved around, um, a couple of places in Lynchburg, uh, for the first two years of our marriage. Um, there were some, we made some really great friends. Uh, they weren't part of the church, but <laughs> they were, they were great. Loved them. Um, but then there was that dynamic of any time, again, things like bills not being paid, stuff like that. And I would be like, Hey, can we take care of that? And then it would, uh, then he started saying things like, um, Maybe we just shouldn't be together. Like, I feel like I can't meet your expectations. Like, maybe we should just end this and just leave it, like, hanging. I'm
1: sorry. I can't, I can't meet your expectations. I can't pay the fucking light bill. Yes. On time. Like, it's not going to work for me that you yeah. want the power in our fucking house. <laughs>
2: <coughs> yes. I don't know how else to say that except for yes. Um, so that started yeah, that way. but to like, when
3: somebody is, like, that manipulative and mind-fucking, like, it feels like because he's not paying, you can correct me if you felt different from from my experience, because he wasn't paying the electricity bill. That was somehow my fault or in your case, Mm -hmm. your fault. Mm -hmm. And what you were demanding, AKA paying the motherfucking electricity bill was too much. And And it genuinely, like we can sit here and talk about like, how actually insane that is on a very rational level. All of us outside of that situation, or at least for me, when I was in it, it did not feel irrational. It did not feel like nope. anything that somebody could look at me and be like, "Are you kidding me? You having electricity in your house?" Like I just be like, "I know. Well, it was my fault. I either didn't remind him or didn't tell him, or like yeah. oh, maybe I should have taken care of it." Like it, it's just really hard to to understand the mm-hmm. The the web that is emotional abuse, unless you've been in, yeah. in that web to where yep. I can completely hear what you're saying and, and my heart just breaks because I understand that if he said that your expectations were too much with an electricity bill, you probably were like going over the hundred ways mm-hmm. that you could make it easier mm-hmm. for him to mm-hmm. pay the electricity bill. Mm-hmm because you weren't enough because he didn't pay the bill and Mm -hmm. it was never logical that it was his responsibility to pay the bill.
2: Yes. Like that's exactly it. I think it's like a, um, like a gaslighting thing. So it goes from the actual problem to being about how, um, how you're being like how you're hurting someone's feelings. So it's like, And because I'm like being sensitive to that, it's like, and you mix that with the Christian dynamic of women are supposed to support the men. You're supposed to support them. You're not supposed to like be Mm -hmm. nagging or anything like that. So it was easy to twist that with like spiritual stuff of like, you're being a nagging wife or like you're being, you're not supporting me as a husband. I feel embarrassed that I didn't pay this bill or that we got this late fee or whatever. And you're not supporting me as a wife. It's already bad enough that this thing didn't happen. And on top of that, like you're not supporting me. Um, yeah. so it was like, that's how it happened. You're exactly right. And that's- you're
3: emasculating me and you're making, mm-hmm. you're human and I'm a human and I make mistakes. And you make
2: yep.
3: mistakes and let me rattle up the mistakes you've made that make mm-hmm. this all very equal and therefore weighted into my side. And
2: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, yes, <laughs> that, um, so that's kind of our whole dynamic in Virginia is that not really surrounded by a ton of people. I have some friends. Um, he has a couple friends with his like job, but we don't really like um, who I loved dearly. But um, we just weren't like we weren't involved in a church, weren't plugged in with like a bunch of people, basically. Um, so then in 2012, his parents call and they're like, hey, you can come move up with us and um, you could save money and buy a house. So that's New Jersey that we would be moving to. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, um, I don't know. And he like, how is this situation? You don't have a really good relationship with your parents. And he's like, no, this is going to be good. Um, so we move in 2012, summer 2012, we move up to New Jersey and live with Frank. And at that point, um, Frank was, uh, a member of a church up here. So he moved right to being like staff on that church. And then I was up here. Um, and immediately. Sorry. What, what role um, did he play in the church? He worked uh, at like a camp. And then he was like the um, sound guy for the church. He was on okay. staff there as like the sound guy. Um, so like we're in this dynamic where I'm by myself and Frank is like, everyone knows Frank. So I, cu- this is the first time I come into this situation. I'm Frank's wife. I'm not Tony, I'm not, people aren't trying to get to know me, like I'm Frank's wife. So this begins the dynamic of um, uh, maybe isolation on my end, I guess. Um, So we get there and um, basically there's some emotional affair stuff, stuff like that with the church. and Frank talking to the church about those things and that him like him being the middleman between me and his church staff people and him being like, then it was kind of, they were brought into the circle of like, if he did something, the church also says that you're being insecure and that you're being like, that you need to go to counseling um, because um, you're being insecure and controlling as a wife. Hmm. So you need to go to counseling. Um so yeah, that was um, we did that whole deal, and Frank was like, "I think I want a divorce." So we didn't. Basically, there was emotional fair stuff. I called some friends that I knew from Masters. I was like, "What do I do?" Because he was trying to like reconnect, like emotionally, with a girl that we went to Masters with. Um, and so I call some other people, and I'm like, "Hey, this is what's happening. Um, my husband." does not want to be with me anymore he starts to tell me that if he had known how i was going to be he would have never married me um and so i call some people in master's commission and i'm like what do i do like my husband's trying to like connect like with this other woman um and he's not speaking to me he's ignoring me i don't know what to do i live with him he doesn't speak to me He's saying that he doesn't want to be with me and that he wants a wife that he can he finds more desirable. What do I do? And they say to me, did he cheat on you? And I said, I don't know. He didn't like physically cheat on me. And they were like, well, God believes in marriage. You should fight for your marriage.
0: Hmm.
2: So I did a whole lot of praying. <laughs> and
0: I can't imagine the emotional toll that I took on you.
2: Yeah, it was it was hard. It was really hard because, I don't know, I think I wanted to believe a different narrative about God than the one I was getting from Frank and, like, the hmm. secondhand from the church and then from, like, these other people, um, but that was not what I was getting, and at that point, I was just like, I don't know what to think about anything, about God, about church, about Christianity, about any of this. Um, but I, I prayed a whole lot and I was like, again, no one can take from me love. So if I'm going to be in this situation for the rest of my life, I'm going to love. So that's what I did. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. And eventually he started speaking to me again. Um, and again, it was never really talked about.
0: Hmm.
2: It was just, all right, I've decided I want to stay married to you. And then it was just, that was it.
0: And he had the ability to manipulate his counseling on the church side. So they knew only what he told them. Oh, yeah. And then he could manipulate it on your side yeah. to make it seem like, hey, I'm getting accountability for this stuff. You don't have to worry about it.
3: Yeah. Mentally relating about how unfortunate all of that is. How much the sometimes the the church can actually wind up being a validation for somebody who is um, narcissistic and emotionally abusive. And and the church. So if let's imagine that the church didn't exist in your situation mm-hmm. or in mine. Mm-hmm. That is only validation. Um, to say that what he did was okay was with him, right? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
3: But then when you go and you also have this, this band of um, holy people mm-hmm. and you manipulate them to be on your side, that mm-hmm. that what you're doing is right and is holy, it's this whole other level of um, validation for somebody... Mm-hmm. Who- who is manipulating their way into being validated, right? Um, and it's just, yeah, I mean, it was um, heartbreaking for me. So I just, the look on my face is just, um, that it's heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, because yeah. when you have, and and for me at least, and and I don't know, we'll see at the end of your story, I know mm-hmm. some of those people came out and they said, I picked wrong. Yeah. Picked the wrong side and I was wrong and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but they didn't know any better. Right. Cause they were, yeah. this mm-hmm. so it's just this yep. incredible thing where you, somebody can actually find a way to be told that what they're doing that's wrong is very, very right. Using mm-hmm. The-
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you go into situations where like, this person has told you that they've told all these people. So every room you sit in with Christian people, all these Christian people, you think that they know and they're just fine with it <clears throat> yeah so you know
1: T- tony i want to know like through this whole process
2: yeah
1: um you, you know you have and had developed a, a deep rooted understanding or at least your understanding of the character of god yeah and and who he was yeah or or she was to you
3: yeah yeah um
1: and then You have all of these voices, these trusted voices, Mm -hmm. um, telling you that God wants this. Yeah. What did that do to your image of God and what did it do to, to what you believed about the character of God and, and, and that conflict, you know, how did you deal with that conflict? Did you, did you listen to all these voices and go, yep, you're right. I got to keep, you know, fighting for this or, you know, or like, how did you
2: reconcile that? Um, Man, that's hard. It, <laughs> I, I think part of it was, um, gosh, actually thinking about it, it's like um, at the time, I knew that I loved God. I knew that I believed that God was real. Um, that was nobody was going to mess with that, um, based on personal experiences. That had nothing to do with the church. However. I think I started to feel like you hear stories of people like, um, like Job and the Bible and people tell you stories where like basically suffering is just God's plan for your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then people say things, you try to talk to people about stuff and they say things like, who are you to question God? And it just is like, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, I think I just felt numb a lot, like in that regard, and it didn't reconcile. Hmm. Like it in that time, the whole time it did not reconcile. So how much it was always like? How much?
0: How much time passed? Um, Like how much time? Like how long were you in? Uh, were you married at this point? Like, cause you had, you, you know, you went through the weird thing right up front mm-hmm. in your marriage and then mm-hmm. you were in Virginia for a little while and then you moved mm-hmm. up to North Carolina and then this kind of stuff happened. so how much, how much time uh, had passed at this point uh, after you guys kind of got through this thing with this second thing, I guess. So
2: 2010, we got married 2012, we moved to New Jersey and then there was before a, Then that started to come up summer of 2012. Um, And after summer of 2012, his niece actually moved in with his parents. So now his niece was living with us.
0: Uh The the one from earlier in the story.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. is it really?
0: Wait,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: so
0: so she moved into the same house? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. So at that point, we've gotten over that stuff, basically by not talking about it. Um, but as a human being, I'm really shutting down. Like, I don't know. I like, I'm, I feel like I'm still able to extend love to people, but I am just, that's what I'm able to do. And that's like, I don't have anything else at that point. Um, and there's a lot of like, just being torn between like God and everything. And then what he's saying and what I feel in my intuition, a lot of mixed up stuff there. So then his niece moves in the winter of 2012 and then he starts like they start hanging out all the time and I'm like hey like how, not trying to be like weird or like controlling but like you might want to be like what where are you at with that stuff like um because they're like staying up late like I'm going to sleep by myself and they're like staying up late and I'm like what's happening like <laughs> this is, how what is this dynamic? And his his niece is um gay. So I'm just like, I don't know what the deal is here. I don't know what's happening. And I would ask questions, he'd be like, No, like what's what's wrong with you? Like we're siblings, like I mean we're relatives, like what No. Um, nothing is going on there. I'm fine. Um and I'm he doesn't like,
1: think it's strange that you question his behavior. When two years before he had told you that he had molested this person,
2: oh, he thought it—he thought it was strange. My behavior, he thought my behavior was very strange and hard and like nagging. Um, so it's wild. <laughs> I just, it, yeah, it's hard to because at the time you think like, all right, like I, I'm wrong, like this is that's, she's gay. That makes sense. They're family. That makes sense. This is in the past. That makes sense. Like, okay, I'm just being paranoid, you know, (laughs) like, I don't know. Um, so that ends up being a progression of things there. And then I think summer of 2008, 2013, we buy a house. So we buy a house and his niece gets kicked out of his parents' house and Frank invites his niece to come live with us. Man. So the three of us move into a house. At this point, Frank is distant, is the best way I can say it. Distant, more making comments like, I don't like this about you. I don't like this about your body. I don't like this about this. And has started for the first time in our marriage to be like, I like this about this person. This person's really funny. I like this body type. And like just random stuff like that. Um, you feel me, Julie. <laughs> I see you. Um, God which I hate, I hate that you know what I'm saying, that it resonates with you. I hate that uh, to the fiber of my being, like just right maybe all the way.
3: one day you'll be as kind as X.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sort yeah, of thing.
3: Maybe one day.
2: hmm. That sort of thing. So we buy a house. I start to feel really weird about like, I, I loved his niece. I actually I still love her. She, I took her in as my family. Mm. I absolutely adore her. I, that is that. Um, so I was happy to have her with us, but I was like, Hey, where's this stuff at? Like, what's going on with this? Like, she doesn't have a place. Um, and again, nope, nothing's going on with that. But he keeps staying up with her. They're now like, I come home, they're like painting pictures in our bedroom together. Or like, we have two hammocks and they're both swinging in the same hammock together, like on both ends. And I'm, in my brain, I'm like, what is going on? Like, and Frank's like, no, it's just like, we're just really close. We're just relatives. And like, okay, so that's fine. Um, so I start asking him, hey, does like, you like, you're people that you're accountable with. Like, how, where are they at with this? And he says to me, like, as long as I'm in the light about things, like, it's fine. Like, again, they don't see a problem with it. I don't understand where you're at. You need to forgive me. Like, Jesus forgives me. Like, you need to let it go. Um, if I knew you were going to react this way, whatever. So that happens for a little bit. And then there's a day that he says to me, hey, I felt tempted to, like, touch my knees. And I start crying. And I'm like, at this point, she's like I've helped her plan and she's on a trip in Europe. So she's gone at this point. And he says to me like I felt tempted to touch my niece. And I just start crying and I'm like we have to get her out of here. Like she, this is not safe for her. Yeah. How are we going to like how what are we going to do? Because it I I don't know, that was just my thought process. Like what how before anything, how do we get her out of this situation? Because this is not safe for her, and like I feel really frustrated that you put me in a situation where, like, what? how are we going to do this? Because she has no one, and she lives with us, so what are we going to do? Jeez. Like, what are we going to do? Again, if I had known you were going to react this way, I would have never told you. Jeez. My people said, I, do your accountability people know? Yes, they know. They said if I'm in the light, it's not a problem. I didn't do anything, it's not a problem. This is when I stop attending that church altogether because at this point I'm like, I cannot be a part of this church. I do like this is a woman who is in danger of being like who's previously been preyed upon by a person. And you, someone says to you that they're having thoughts about that, and you say to them, As long as they live in the light, no, like what? So I'm like, Look, I can't, I cannot go to this church, I can't do this. I don't understand. So at this point, I'm starting. Uh, it's, it's triggering a lot of stuff, so I'm having panic attacks um, pretty often. And I say to Frank, like, um, I, I'm going to talk to the pastors because I can't attend this church, and I don't agree with that. I, that is a dangerous way to think. That's a dangerous way to like interact with people. Yeah. I don't agree with that, and I cannot sit and like be at this church with these people that if that's their viewpoint of things. And I feel I'm not going to just leave the church without telling them that because I don't feel like that's a service to them either way. So I'm going to talk to them. So I sent an email to all of the pastors that supposedly he had talked to. And then I said, Hey, Frank, I emailed the pastors. And then Frank flipped. He was like, why would you do that? You're so controlling. Like, why would you contact them? Like, why would you like, you're going behind my back. Um, And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, feel like it's right for me to say something to them, give them a heads up. And then I find out that he never, that whole time he had never told the church any of any of, any of that. No. The whole time. Like from the time we moved there to the time that we're having this conversation, none of the things that had happened, he had told the church. Jeez. So then I, I contact the pastors back and I'm like, I'm really sorry. Um, the stuff that I wanted to talk to you about apparently did not happen. So I have a meeting with them. <coughs> They're like, really sorry, but this is really a lot of red flag behavior. We're going to call Frank in, um, and we're going to have a meeting. So then they call Frank into a meeting. We have a meeting, um, maybe that week and they start grilling him. What happened with your niece and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there and it's pastors and hit, and then this lady that um, I had known at the church that, um, was like a mentor to her daughter. Um, and he's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then eventually they're like, did you sleep with your niece? And he's like, Um, no. And basically what happens is he's like, I have somewhere to be at five. Can we get this over with? They're like, can one of you give her a ride home? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, What is going on? And he's like, what do you want from me? And then he goes, I slept with her. What do you want from me? And I'm like, what? I slept with my niece. I like, what do you, like, I slept with her. What do you want from me? And like, looks at me and looks at them and he's like, I gotta go. Can someone give her a ride and leaves? And I'm like, looking at the pastors and I'm looking at this lady and I'm like, what do I do? My like, gosh. what do I do? And they're, they're like, we're going to take care of this. Like, nothing's going to happen. Like, to, like, we're going to separate you guys. You're going to be safe. And I'm like, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go be with my family. I, I can't, I can't do this. And they're like, we're going to set you up with a woman at the church. You you should not leave. That's kind of running away from the situation. Um, again, they're like, this is really difficult. Um, God cares about marriage. We believe in marriage.
0: So the church at this point was still telling you that you should stay with Frank, even after mm-hmm. they found out that he is currently sleeping with his niece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't fathom that. Just as a human, that's—I can't wrap my brain around that thought process.
2: They tell me that they believe in—they um, believe that I—I I can divorce Frank in the Bi- according to the Bible, but that they believe that God is for marriage and that they would—that would be what they would recommend.
0: Um, I don't feel like God is for emotional and mental abuse for years and years. I don't believe that
3: God would be So I'm not coming to the church's defense by any means, but I think sometimes the issue with a panel of pastors giving marital advice on a one-off situation is that they've got a one-off situation. So Mark, you're saying, I don't feel like the Bible is for emotional mental abuse, Mm -hmm. but that panel of pastors on that day mm-hmm. had no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah they exactly. Had no idea. Exactly. Exactly. Again, I'm not coming to the defense nope. of them so much as I really, I, I, I would just, I would feel remiss if I didn't mm-hmm. say that I don't think it's fair to say that the, that them saying that they feel like the Bible believes in marriage mm-hmm. is anything different than if my. Spouse goes out on a one night stand, and I contemplate staying with a good human that fucked up once. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so, again, I get that. that's where they're at. This is a that's totally where they're at. That I don't want to launch into. But I'm saying, I don't think we can say that in that moment, those pastors in that church were saying that the Bible is cool with molestation or emotional abuse or mental abuse. Mm-hmm. I'm saying. I don't know. That it's fucked up that she got sat in front of a panel of pastors and they, the pastors in that moment, have to delineate some sort of answer. Like, that's mm-hmm. a fucked up thing in itself. Yeah. 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 And I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a biblical thing. I don't think that's even the church thing. I think that that's a fucked up process.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Thing, Agreed. You know?
1: I think part of it is probably, probably political too, in the sense that which one of those pastors is going to be the one that has the balls to stand up and yeah. say, you should get out? Yeah. Right? The, yeah. Safe, yeah. the safe thing to say uh, in that situation is, you know, God is for marriage. No God, matter how tough yeah. it is. Right? And God is forgiving. Maybe, and yeah. Maybe you're like Job right now and things are hard. But, you know, mm-hmm. this, that's the safe thing politically for any one of those people to say. Yeah. Because who wants to be the guy who told Tony to get out?
2: Yeah. Right? That's, yep.
1: that's a scary thing. And again, again, I'm not defending them, um, but.
3: If Tony's thing was a one-off and it wasn't mm-hmm. a whole story and one of those pastors was like, leave, get out, they would actually be kind of going against the story of Job, right? And this idea mm-hmm. of forgiveness. And again, that's a whole other debate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not much into, but, but you see what I'm saying, like, I actually don't, I mean, those people, that was unfortunate in your story and, yeah. And at least our stories are pretty similar. So I'm really glad that that Mark was uh, very much telling me like I want <laughs> you to join his podcast tonight. Um, yeah. but I think that some of that is that I have learned that those humans that mm-hmm. said those things to me in that moment had one perspective and they yep. had one percent. Yep. Yeah. And they actually aren't their opinion might even be one that I that that I might have done
2: yeah yeah. I mean, at the time, I appreciate you saying that because i I do I see that. I see they they didn't know they don't have any of the backstory at this point. Um, for me, that ends up being really not good, <laughs> um, but from their perspective, um, and even like honestly, at the time, I was like, okay, yeah. like, this is really hard. I don't know if I can rebuild trust here, but like God can redeem things. I don't know. Like, I don't know like what, I don't know what to do here. Like, I don't know. So like, what did
0: you do? I mean, you're sitting there with all the, with the pastors and stuff. I mean, did, did you go home at the time? I mean, like, like what happened?
2: Not initially. No, I stayed with a lady at the church, um, and was willing to go through like the process of like meetings with them. And they put, um, Frank and counseling and like,
0: uh, but his I niece continued, waited. his niece continued living there.
2: No. Um, she was, unfortunately, she was in Europe. Um, and everything of hers had to leave the house. So it was like, well, actually that's not what happened. It was supposed to leave the house. And that's kind of like the way that things are recommended. But, Um, and it did need to leave, but she had to move. And I was like, I need you to find a place to put your stuff eventually, but I understand that you don't have a place yet. So please make that a priority. But so she came and got her stuff like a little bit later, but she never came back to our house.
1: It's amazing to me. Um, and I think of a reflection of your character that through this whole process, um, you know, you find this out and you still have, you have. Empathy for this person, you know, where I think a lot of people in your position would just be angry, yeah. you know, and they would just they would just react, um, and they would, you know, the, the emotional fear of rejection would take over. And it sounds like you responded with with just a great deal of empathy. And I know that that's it's what you're saying is authentic, right? It's not just like hey, I'm talking on a podcast, and so I'm saying no, this is no. how I reacted. I know. You know, I, I know you, Tony, and I know that that's how you reacted, and I think that's incredible, and it speaks to your character for sure.
2: Uh, I don't know what to say to that. Thank you, but it still is just hard because the situation was just, yeah. like, I wish I could, like, there's another human being on the other side of that whole thing that yeah. was part of consensual whatever, but it's part of a backstory that probably lent itself to all of that stuff happening, and also had no one to no one to support them when that hit the fan. And I would yeah. never, no matter what someone ever did, I would never wish that for anyone. Yeah. To literally just have like the shit hit the fan, and they have no one, and they don't have a voice. Yeah. Like they just get escorted off, and they have no one. I was like, so,
3: "Girl, has probably gone through a lot of therapy as a result after this."
2: I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really hope so. Like so- for her sake.
0: So so did you try to stay in like did you try to stay in the marriage at that point, or were you thinking about filing for divorce?
2: Um, it began a series of months of meetings and stuff with the pastors, and then um like stuff kept being different things kept coming out. It happened one time. Oh, it happened two times. Oh, it happened three times um Like it happened at this point. So there was a time that it was like this. It happened at that time that we weren't talking. And you said when um, at the time when he tried to have the emotional affair, when you brought up maybe is divorce something we should do. It happened at that time because I was hurt. And it happened at this time, which eventually the time frames got sorted out. And when it happened and all that stuff um, got sorted out. Um, but that was a process of probably like six months of just like that back and forth of figuring out what was truth, when it happened, how many times it happened. Um, we had a meeting where I was like, there's no way that this, the girl that his niece, there's no way that we're just going to have this process and she's not going to be able to say something. So I want you to bring her in and I want her to sit in front of him and I want her to be able to tell her story while he's sitting there. Like, Bring her in because it's not okay. Even though whatever happened is not okay, we there's no way you can just handle this situation. I don't even know what happened from her end. Like we can't just you can't do that that way. That's not
1: no. So so did that happen? Did she get a voice yeah. in the conversation?
2: Yeah, we had a conversation. Um, the three of us and a counselor. We all sat together. Um, she. Um, you guys are funny. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please don't apologize. <laughs> um, so we all have a conversation. Um, and this, for me, uh we have a conversation, and she's talking about where she's at. She talks about the past, the molestation. I find out that they never actually ever talked about it, that it was just a sneaky thing that kept happening, and it was never talked about and never reconciled. Hmm. Um And she says to him, like, I wanted to know that you cared. And like, I, a lot of this stuff was like, it was really messed up. And I just, it was the only way that you, um, showed me attention or showed that you cared. And it was the only way that we connected. Um, so we, and she's like, I just feel like that's all you ever cared about. And I say to him, like, you molested her. I know that this affair thing was consensual, but you molested her, and she sat in front of you and literally said that she wanted to know that you cared, and you've told me that you really care about her, and this is the moment that you sat in front of her and she needed that from you, and you literally said nothing to her. Like what, what is that? And he looked at me and he laughed and he was like, I don't have to prove anything to her. Jeez. He's like, I am like... I feel like I just really wanted to. I wanted to go into that and not feel like I needed to prove myself to anything, and that I just needed to be like humble, and like I don't need to prove anything to her. And that's when I contacted the pastors, and I was like, "I'm leaving. You guys are there. Is you guys are focused on the marriage, and I get that. That's nothing against them. But as far as like our marriage working, there is a root problem here that is not being addressed that I can't. I can't do. So I left. And I went to Virginia. Um, Yeah. So I went to Virginia. Um, There was like counseling and stuff that happened during that. My grandfather got cancer. So I was there helping take care of him. Um, I went home and we took care of him. And Frank was in counseling. He would come and like visit me and be like, I really want you back and um, stuff like that over the course of a few months um, with the church and the counselors calling me and they're like, He's really showing a lot of initiative, but we don't feel like you can really tell what's going to happen here unless you move back. Um, and I'm like, but I feel like I should be able to like tell like if things aren't working. like I feel like I should be able to tell. Um, and they're like, no, and you're not going to be able to tell unless you move back. So I'm like, all right, I'm, wi- I'm willing if this is a thing, I'm willing to like, look at it. So I come back, um, move back here. I go to counseling. Frank is saying that he really like, I'm really sorry. I really want to, I'm sorry about all this stuff. Um, but stuff continues to not line up as far as like honesty. Like he would do nice things for me every once in a while, but then I'm like, something is not right. Like something still isn't right. Um, and I'm like at this point it's like really hard and I'm like God like what do I do here because this is still not right and I don't know what to do and I'm really confused because this person is saying they love me and they care about me and they want to make things right but something's not right. Um, ultimately we go through a string of again him trying to have another affair with someone else not telling the church that me being like something's wrong can someone please look at the fact that something is wrong here. Um, And then I go away like to Minnesota for like a trip and I get back and Frank sits me down and says, God told me that I'm never going to be who I could be while I'm with you. I never loved you. I never wanted to be with you. I did that to please God. Um, I've never been attracted to you. Like went through a whole spiel of like, and God says, I'm never going to reach my potential if I'm not, I'm with you. So I've talked to people at the church and they said, it sounds like I've got a good head on my shoulders about it. So I want a divorce. And I'm like. Honestly, at this point, I'm like, I think that's, I don't think that you're being honest, but, um, okay. Like, okay. If this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. Um,
1: at that point, were you, were you obviously having someone say something like that to you, um, can't be good, but I would imagine there's a sense of relief, you know, is that, is that wrong? Did you feel, you know, do Did you feel relieved or was it worse that he said, I I want this to be done?
2: I think I felt a sense of relief because it felt like he was finally owning up to what I felt like was there, to be honest. Because I felt really like the weight of it was like deciding, not that it's a bad thing, but it felt like uh, the whole weight of everything was on me. Hmm. Like God God is for marriage do you feel like I heard the statement a lot? Do you feel released from this? Do you feel released from this marriage? And I'd be like, no, I don't really know. Like what to. so it, uh, there was a level, a certain level of like, just relief of like, okay, he's being honest that he doesn't want to do this anymore. At least that call has been made. Like at least it's been yes. made. Um, yeah. You know, but then on the other end of it, it's like nothing, Cause he's like, I never loved you. I never wanted to be with you. This is basically, this is, everything has been a lie. Jeez. Like I've gone through years of him visiting me. I, like at this point we we were separated before we got divorced for like a year and a half. So at this point, 2014 to 2016 was spent with back and forth of these things. And he's like, um, so for me it was like a relief, but then it was also like my whole reality got flipped on its head, because not only did he have these affairs, all of these things that he said were his intentions, the whole time was not true. Man.
3: So, but it's so interesting, cause it's um, my boyfriend and I were talking about it today, but that when somebody is, is committing those kinds of affairs and that kind of hurt on somebody that they cared about in some capacity at some point in time, mm-hmm. in order to do that, most people who generally are good people and I, um, it's funny cause I quantified earlier, like they haven't committed mass murder, but yeah. I don't know, molesting somebody falls in some weird gray area between a good person and a mass murderer. So yeah. I don't really know what I do with that information, but yeah. what I said is that you, you have to actually, um, Pick apart somebody else's minor, minor flaws and make mountains out of molehills in order to make yourself feel okay for doing the absolutely abhorrent, selfish, narcissistic, horrific, vile human shit that you're doing to somebody that you've cared about for a long time. So it had to be that, he, that you weren't good enough and that he didn't love you because... Mm -hmm. He was doing absolutely vile human shit. And the only way that you can lay your head down and go to sleep at night, psychologically speaking, is if you find a way to even that score.
2: Yeah. Gosh. That's, I don't even know what I think about that. That's like, that makes sense to me. Also, like, what? (laughs) What? We had
3: the same conversation earlier where he was like, I replaying every conversation I had with my ex, and mm-hmm. like he was like super quiet when we were talking about it. And I was like, Well, I guess i have so many years out that I've gone through all the scenarios mm-hmm. in my head and found a way to remind myself that the absolutely vile shit my ex said about me maybe had a grain of truth,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but was exorbitantly a lie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still working through that part. <laughs> like- still working through that because it's years it's years of just what is true this is what's true convincing you this is what's true and all of that stuff um Hmm. yeah so it's like reality you cannot get your foot set on what is reality like what's true about you what's true about them what is it and all of that stuff um what's true about god that was right what's true about god was a huge question and all of that um And honestly, during that time, I, I would literally sit and I learned to play the piano and I would sit and sing because there were times that I felt so overwhelmed with shame. Even when I didn't know what was true, that someone felt that way about me and that someone could, that said that they loved me, couldn't see that I loved them that strongly couldn't see that I love them. And also that someone could look at me and feel like it was okay to interact with me in that way was an overwhelming amount of shame, especially when you mix God in it. So, um, I would sing to myself like that God is kind, that God loves me. God is kind and God loves me. And I would play and play and play until I could make myself do something again, because, I knew that there was something off. I knew that there was something different between what people were telling me and between the God that I had, like, in ridiculous ways had, like, come and, like, made sure that I knew that I was seen. Um, so, like, that's literally, that's, that's how I survived that. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like... <laughs> I survived it by that. When I would feel like I cannot do this anymore, like when I would feel like I don't have anything left to give to this, I would just sing, like, this is not true about who God is. And I don't know what's true right now. I don't know what to hold on to. But I know that deep down, I believe that God is, God is kind and that God loves me. Um, and that's how I survived legitimately all of that, like, mm. is that. Because through all of the things that I've walked through in my life, if I literally just get quiet, I feel like spirit is there mm. in everything, in the hum of everything. When I stand outside, in the hum that I feel of nature, in when I look at other human beings, when I watch people laugh. When I watch people smile, when I see people cry, when I hear people's pain, when I look at your faces, like in all of those things, I feel like the divine is in all of it. Mm. All of it. Found in all of it. So honestly, I just kept looking. And anywhere I could see God, I'm like, okay. Not because I felt like it saved me. Um Cause honestly, I wasn't even thinking at that point. Am I saved? Like, like I was like not even on my radar. It was just like I know this is like I know that the divine is real.
3: Like, I mean, you were in fight or flight. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: You were like living like I like we mentioned earlier. Like it was like a war zone. So you were just in
2: constant fight or flight for a long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
0: Tony, I want I want to kind of bring it full circle here. Yeah, and highlight what you just said for a second. That you were doing anything you could to look for the divine and how this entire story started with you saying that you started in this entire religion looking for God and everything
3: mm-hmm.
0: and how it's come full circle. And now you're back to this point
3: mm-hmm.
0: of looking for God and everything and how there's almost a beauty to that.
3: So I have a question, Tony.
2: Yeah, let's hear
3: it. So I kind of missed the timeline. You mentioned it a few times, and I okay. just, for whatever reason, I couldn't piece it. When was the last moment where, like, you finally started to to break free? Like, when was your, like, your jailbreak? When did that happen?
2: OK, so that happens, he says that, and then um, there's another push for, like, let's just try one more time. Um, So I'm like, there's a push for that, um, but he won't file for, uh, he doesn't really go along with that at this point. He's like, you're repulsive. Like, I don't want to be with you Um, and just kind of leaves everything. And then the church is like, well, you can do, you can either um, file for a divorce or you can just wait, like go on and live your life and just see that like, if he turns his life around, you can like, just wait for that. Um, and I'm just like really torn by all of this stuff. So I go away to this, um, and he won't file for divorce and he won't give me any of the information that helps me file for a divorce. So I go away to this, like, um, this, like, uh, it was like I was still doing worship leading stuff. So I went away to this worship leading school and I'm like, God, I need help here. I don't have, I don't know how to make this call. This is, it feels like a lot. Um, and I don't know how to know what you think is right here because apparently I'm supposed to like feel released from this or feel like something is right. And I don't know how to do do that because nobody's telling me, literally no one's giving voice to the fact that me leaving is like a good thing, or this could be part of God's thing for you too. It's just kind of like, you could take that option or whatever. So I go away and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. So I walk into this room. While I'm at this like worship school thing. And these people are like sitting around singing. And this guy goes, <laughs> And at this point, I don't have any money. So this guy's like, somebody in here needs some money. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, somebody needs money for like their lunch or something. That's cute. So I'm like sitting here and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I mean, I got I got like five bucks. I guess I could like. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, I feel really strongly like somebody really needs some help with something. And I'm, like, and this is just, like, some random people from all over the world sitting in a room. Ten people. And I'm, like, looking around. Everybody's, like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, um, and I'm, like, I'm not going to say anything. This is so awkward. Like, I could use some money. I can't pay for my divorce. But, like, I like, <laughs> I was like, but, like, who says that? Like, the Lord's leading someone to give money. It's probably for a divorce. Like, that's nothing. You just, like, say <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my divorce, I could use um, whatever. But I just like, I was like, oh, you know what? Why not? Let's do it. So I was like, you know, I'm in a rough situation. I'm not going to like, I don't really want your money, but you can say some prayers for me. Like, I don't really know what to say about that. So these people are like, yeah, totally. We'll pray for you. So they pray for me. And they start sticking money in my hand and they literally give me the exact amount of money that I need to file for a divorce.
0: Get out of here.
2: Not kidding. 10 people. They gave me all the money and i was like all right sweet <laughs> pretty much it was just like cuz that day i was like what do i do like and then these people are like they just put the money in my hand the exact amount of money in my hand jeez legit and like this is a, i this i don't know <laughs> just like um that was a thing then i also came back i was sitting at a starbucks and I'm talking to this person and this person comes up that I don't know and slides me a piece of paper and says, Hey, my friend wanted me to give you this note. And I open up this note and it, it talks about like, there are people in your life that like, you're like, that would like, um, aren't for you. Like we're supposed to love everyone, but there are people in your life that like, no, and, like, they, they say to me, like, the Bible says when you go to a place, like, and they don't receive you, shake the dust. And they write it, like, three times over and over again. Shake the dust. Shake the dust. You, I don't know what's going on with you, but you need, there's someone you need to leave. And I was, like, um, three years before that, I was in this spoken word thing by, um, it was Anis Mojani. And he has a spoken word called shake the dust. And I'm sitting in this thing, and he says this thing about, um, he has this like spoken word about shake the dust, and it's talking about basically how, like, just if you're people don't love you and they don't accept you for who you are, just leave it. Yeah. And all I know is that I need to hold on to this. So I buy a t-shirt, and it literally says shake the dust. So I get back, I go to Starbucks, this girl comes to me, she slides me this letter, and who, like, she just, it three times in it, it's like shake the dust, and it's underlined, like, three times, like, three times in this letter and i'm like i got to go like i'm just like okay like oh okay like um i'm i'm out like
0: so you got that get, was you you got married in 20 or, uh 2010 and this is 2016 yeah yeah And you're filing for a divorce.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, The irony of that is that Frank then came to me and was like, hey, I'm finally willing to pay for the divorce. So then he paid for the divorce and I just got the money for the divorce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shout (laughs) out to There's the
0: silver lining. (laughs) There it is. There's the silver lining to the story. So you went on a cruise, (laughs) a divorce cruise.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I didn't. I just, yeah, I mean, that was that. And then, I mean, it sounds like a weird conclusion, but literally, we got a divorce. um, And I was like, all right, like I got to rebuild my life. That was like three years ago. Like, follow three years ago. Got to rebuild my life. So... Um that's been a lot of work. A lot of really hard work. A lot
0: of So here you have uh um it's been it's been three years.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: now twenty nineteen, you're approaching that three year mark. Um yeah. what does your life look like now? Like like what, what does it sound like, what does it look like? Where are you? Who are you? And how like how has that shaped everything you know about the God that you know? Um like who are you now?
2: I have learned uh to listen to my gut.
0: For reals. <laughs>
2: my gut. I am
0: such a gut feeling person.
2: Like, go with my gut. Like just that. And reali honestly realizing um or what I believe to be true is that I feel like the divine was trying to speak to me through my gut the whole time. Hmm. Like, like I'm like, dang. Like, um, but I've learned, like I'm relearning like, okay, how to trust myself. Um, I do not believe that that, I believe that I'm valued by God. I I believe that I'm loved by God. I'm not a member of a church, Um, but I have. I work at a farm. I work on like a vegan food truck. I um.
0: I love that, by the way. (laughs) It's so so awesome.
2: I love it. It's fun. I've just been. I went back to like. Okay, basically, all of that stuff has been like. I went back to the beginning. Does that make sense? Like the divorce happened and I just went back to the beginning. Yeah. Like, who was I? Who am I? How? What did I? What do I believe? What does Tony believe without feeling like I need to like meet someone's standard without being afraid of like, is the church going to think I'm rebellious if I go with my gut and it's not what they're saying?
0: Mm.
2: Like, am I going to be understood by the church as being a loving person, a person who wants, who values God? Um, I just, I don't know. I just went back to the little Tony that used to look for God in everything outside in people, all people, all things. Um, and I, am. I feel more grounded than I probably ever have.
0: Hmm. Um,
2: I feel more, I'm coming alive in a different way. Um, because it's my way, just my way. And it's not, I don't know. I feel, um, I like the term that is described of uh, that the Jewish um, translation of the God that is in the burning bush, which is, I will be what I will be. Yeah. Uh, So I see God more that way, like a limitless, like I see God in like um, quantum physics, I see God in other religions. I Like, I'm looking, I'm like, dang, like my whole everything just feels blown wide open. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, you know what I mean? Like, you get down to um, things about quantum physics. You listen to other people's religions. You listen to what um, they're saying, what they found, like Western, different from like Western maybe thought. Um, I'm just like, everything just feels like it's healing and quieting and grounding and I feel like I, I know, I don't know how to explain that, I just know. I feel this knowing, like, that I don't feel like I've ever um, really let myself just be okay with being true, that like, no I I do, I don't believe in like the looking for the devil in things. Uh, My way is looking for God in all things. Hmm. Um, I don't feel like I need to know if there's a hell. Like I don't really, none of this is about that, I don't think. Like, I get to love people, and I get to look for God in all things, and... There's like this, I feel like my curiosity is back.
0: Mm. Um,
2: I went to Puerto Rico in January and I went to the bioluminescent bay. So I'm sitting, I jump out of this boat and it's January so it's not that hot and I'm touching the water and my skin is glowing. And there's like all these flecks of um, bioluminescent um, just like organisms in the water. And it's all in the water, and the sky is above me, and it's clear, and there's no light pollution, I can see stars, and it's literally like the sky and the water has no boundary. Hmm. It literally is, and that in my life has been the most vivid image that I've ever had of like what I believe, like God, call it the universe, call it whatever you want, is. Is it was above me, it was around me, I was swimming in it, it was glowing on my skin. It was glowing on the skin of the person next to me. I couldn't get out of it. Um, It was all around and it just was. And that is like, that feels like the truth that I feel like I live in now. I feel like I'm always floating in the bioluminescent bay, um, which I feel like is grace and God and
0: so, so if you could tell in one sentence, in a, in, in yeah. a really brief sentence, if you could tell yeah. the entire world one thing, like it just if you could say one thing to the entire, if they all would listen all simultaneously and they would all hear you and you only had 10 seconds, what, like, what would you say to the entire world?
2: I would probably just want to sit in a room with you and take a deep breath. Mm. Like, honestly like because I feel like there's enough in that moment to just to spark something because we don't do that you know I feel more that is said in if when I'm in a room full of people that are literally just being intentional about the breath and being silent I feel like more is said because you need to you'll hear what you need to hear in that moment and it it won't be because I felt like you needed to hear it